With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Kane's Country Podcast, uh, I believe one of the last things that Andrew said last week was that it's very much within the realm of possibility that the next time we talk on this podcast, the series will be over. Now, I think many would have assumed that that would be for the worst, given the, the history between the Hurricanes and the Rangers, but the series is over, and the Hurricanes swept the Rangers, uh, and they did so pretty convincingly. Um, so that is a, a very interesting development as we kick off this Canes Country podcast. Uh, my name is Brett Finger. I'm here with Andrew Schnicker and Ryan Hankel. How are you guys doing? Doing good, doing good. Yeah, I think I remember after uh, the episode last week, we were trying to figure out when we could record this week, and I said we might have to go around game four unless it was just done. And you, I think you said something like, if that were the case, it probably would not be a good thing for the Hurricanes. Yeah. And I was wrong. For the first time, I was wrong. Um, first time. First time. Yeah, because neither one of us was wrong about who should start game one or anything like that no, either. No, yeah. Well, in of a course, sense, we all, all had Jim Rozick. Yeah, from for all all the time, it didn't change after the exhibition game. Uh, Ryan, you're back this week. Hello, Ryan. How are you? Doing good. Feeling good. Mm. You sound good. We all sound good. That is that a consensus. Great. We. Yeah. Do we all sound good? I, I I like the sound of all of your voices. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. All right, just just guys being dudes here on the podcast. <laughs> so the Hurricanes swept the Rangers in the first round. Um, a lot of talking points uh, to go over. Game one, Hurricanes jumped out to to a quick lead, and they they ended up holding on uh, for a three two win. That was the least interesting game of the series, I think, because game two, Andrei Svechnikov became the first player in franchise history to record a hat trick in a playoff game, which was which was uh, pretty crazy to watch. And then game three, I mean, it was the Sebastian Ajo show in the third period after James Reimer, who did not start games one or two, came in and probably had the best goalie performance, definitely for the Hurricanes in the postseason, maybe all of the postseason so far. Um, Andrew, thoughts on a series that escalated really quickly. Yeah, I said this, I tweeted this after the end of game three. I really did. I was a little less confident without Dougie. I really did think that the Hurricanes were going to win this series. If you would have told me that the, it would, the Hurricanes would win it, it would be the first series over. Um, Not pretty sure I wouldn't have believed you. I mean, like, they didn't, it's like you said, Brett. They didn't just win the series. I mean, they steamrolled them. Our Timmy Panarin and Mika Zibanejad combined for two goals and four points. 
the Hurricanes' top line with Aho and Svechnikov and Tara Vinen, who did not have as flashy of a series as his line mates, but I also thought had a really good series. Yeah, just absolutely bulldozed through that Ranger, that shaky Ranger defense. I mean, Aho and Svechnikov were on another level in that series, and the goaltending. We, we thought this series might come down to goaltending, but uh, certainly not in the way that it did. Yeah, you know, Henrik Lundqvist got the first two games before Shesterkin got in for game three. And I think the, you know, when you were looking at that, uh, maybe a little bit of, of trepidation when you see the Hurricane or the Rangers switch goalies for game three with Shesterkin, you're like, Okay, is this going to be the the boost for them? And then early in the game, it seemed like it would be, but Carolina went with, with their own goalie change with Reimer, and he was absolutely outstanding. I mean, he stole the game. Um, Ryan, thoughts on on the goalie changes and the the, the buttons that Brendan Moore pushed were the right ones. Yeah, Carolina just seems to have a way. We've never had really elite goaltending but ever since like 2002 they always have a way to really make deep playoff runs and they just kind of really seem to get it going you know you look at it peter morozik you think of him kind of as like a home goaltender he rides off the crowd he feeds off that energy and but you know in toronto there was the worry i think we all had this kind of worry like if he could really step up that game the exhibition game looked shaky but he shows up and he just is absolutely dominant then we're like well might as well go with with him for game three since he's been so well but Moore said he had promised to get Reimer in he did it and it was absolutely amazing performance the saves he had to make you know the Canes defense we talked about it being deep but they're still shaky a lot of them are still new pairings learning each other there's a lot of breakdowns and Reimer had to come up big you know the Rangers goaltending made saves they came up they had good games but when they, the Canes needed that series that series saving save they needed that save to keep ahead in the game or win the game. Reimer and Morozik were there, and that was the difference, I feel. Yeah, and when you when you look up and down the lineup, I think what was so big for Carolina was it was a it was very much a full team effort, four lines, three D pairings, and that sets the stage for the question of who stood out among the the outside of the obvious answers. Um, Andrew, do you have any names in mind? Outside of the obvious answers? Yeah, you can't say Aho or Svechnikov or Reimer or Mrazek. Um, I thought Brady Shea had a really good series against Mm -hmm. his former team. He had the big hit to set the tone in game one. Him and Edmondson were outstanding defensively in game three. And then obviously he has the nice shot from the point that Fogel tips in for the series winner. So all in all, I was, I was a little concerned about that Shea Edmondson pairing, but I thought that they together played really well. And Brady Shea really impressed me in that series. Brian. Yeah. I think my biggest standout was the just, cheat a little bit here the entire fourth line jordan martinuk brock mcginn and morgan geeky they were just like the depth the hurricanes depth and conditioning really shined in this series and when i i saw the fourth line out and out running and just you know creating chance after chance against every single rangers line i even remember seeing them specifically in zabanjad panarin just cycling the puck and just making a life hell for them i think 
the course he floored in the series was 66.67% with 24 to 12 chances mm-hmm. comparatively. And they were just such a dominant force. They came up with a big goal number three in game two that really helped push the Canes over the edge and, you know, take some alleviate any pressure the Rangers might have mounted. And they were just an outstanding line for the Hurricanes. Brendan Moore's depth and his style of play really, really stands out when you can have four lines all going at the same rate. Yeah, I remember when I looked at the forward, the Rangers forwards going in um, to the series and how unimpressive their bottom six were or was and said that, you know, if the Hurricanes could at least shut down the Panarin and Zibanejad lines to the point where their top six could at least match them. And as we all know, they did a lot more than that, that the Hurricanes depth would be could be the deciding factor. And that's. That would have been in a five-game series. The reason, obviously, that they swept is the depth was there and they made their top lines a non-factor and the Hurricanes' top six totally dominated. Yeah, absolutely. And I think going into the series, you you looked at it like Panarin and Zibanejad were going to be the impetus for for whether the rangers advanced or not and that that obviously ended up being the case but you know i I think a lot of people especially outside of carolina went into it thinking it's going to be panarin and zibanejad as the the best players and it will have to be carolina's depth that makes up for it and i think that's why people were expecting this to go the distance of five games and instead what happened was carolina's depth was indeed better as I think pretty much everyone thought but it wasn't Zibanejad and Panarin it was Ajo and Svechnikov and I think that that turned it from going the distance and I mean they those two combined for one goal and three points in the series so and then you look at Svechnikov and and Ajo those were the Zibanejad Panarin I mean it was those it was those guys it wasn't the Rangers guys so that really expedited things, and you know, it, it wasn't even close, really, uh, when it when it came down to it in the series, and I think that's uh, that's why. So we move on to kind of setting the sights for the future, uh, the very near future, at least. Uh, the Hurricanes will get about a week off from when Game Three was played, which was Tuesday, and they practice for the first time since that went on Tuesday night. Uh, on Thursday today when we're recording yesterday if you're listening to it on Friday when the the podcast comes out and Dougie Hamilton was back on the ice and this was a good reminder that Dougie Hamilton wasn't even playing in that series Um, but he was back on the ice on Thursday practicing with the team which should set him up to be back for for round one uh, next week so a lot of questions about this the Hurricanes' defense as a whole was just so good in that series. But someone's coming out for Dougie. Who comes out for Dougie? I almost feel like you could just spin a wheel that does not include Jacob Slavin or Brady Shea. Because, yeah. every, I mean, everybody was just so good. Again. I mean, like, I would I would have thought after the series, maybe with especially with um, Hamilton being a righty, I would have said Edmondson, but him and he and Shea were so good together. They were too. Flurry and Gardner had both had good series, and I thought was a that, that pairing was really good in game yeah. 
three, that shift, that uh, that mammoth shift where they had the puck in the zone. It led for to like the first. It led to the game time goal. That was huge. Yeah, I mean those those two made a ton of plays to keep the puck in. Um, Sammy v- Vatnin had kind of a rough game game three, but he was really good in game two. Um, I think. Can you make an argument for for Sammy Vatnin, even though he was playing with Slavin? Like, because the thing is, he kind of filled Dougie's role, but then Dougie yeah. comes back and Dougie's filling Dougie's role. Yeah, it's so tough because it's a good problem to have. Yeah, I mean, it's a great problem to have, and if one game goes bad, then you you have a lot of options. Um, I think something to keep in mind too, though, is Brendan Moore has mentioned a few times when asked that he wants to cycle Trevor Van Riemsdyk in too. He wants to give all of his guys playing time. Good luck with so, that. I don't it's know how realistic of, it's going to be though. Now, yeah, yeah, but that's again is the thing is like, is he going to try to like maybe give guys, obviously not rest now, but like later down the series. Yeah, I, I definitely a rest. I definitely think that once the series starts, there's going to be some changes, game to game. Because um, it's not like the Hurricanes are going to sweep everybody. Like, well, I think anyway. But like, if you lose a play, if you lose a game, and somebody's made like a mistake that led to a goal, then you're going to have a pretty easy decision given what you are going to have waiting on the bench. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um. Part of me wants to make that case for Vatnin too. Be, but it's just tough because. I mean, he was on the top power play unit, and when I mean when Hamilton gets back, he's not going to be on the top power play unit. And you you look what I'm kind of saying, like because right now it feels like it's going to be one of Vatanen, Gardner, Flurry, because Shea isn't leaving. No way Edmondson's coming out of the lineup after the series he just had. And man, it's just tough because. I, 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 I make the argument I like Fleury and Gardner's game a little more than I like Shea and Edmondson's together game. That's I felt like yeah. Fleury and Fleury and Gardner that game three was they were just together. They were just really dominant. I, I mean, make the and, argument that yeah. they had to sit together. And, and they've been well, good. They were good all series. It wasn't just game three. I thought I thought yeah. quietly Gardner had a really good series. Like because he again it, it looked like he was continuing to pick up from where he left off when the season ended when he was playing his best hockey i thought he had a really strong series and the same goes for flurry as a pairing partner well because here's my argument then you could leave those pairings if you took vatnin out you can leave them together because then you could leave those pairings alone and you know dougie and slavin can play together plus if if Dougie's playing, my qu- my question kind of is, what's Vatnin's role? Yeah. If that makes sense. Because cause we have to remember, he was acquired to help the Hurricanes finish out the regular season without Dougie. I mean, right. that was that Nobody... was his whole point. And I, I feel like I feel like I agree with you. I agree that taking Vatnin out, at least for Game One. And rolling with Dougie with Slavin, I feel like that's the smarter move. Yeah, because especially now that I think about it, like, because I was thinking about, oh man, those other two pairings were so good together, and like, 
if if you have to move those around, like, do you lose them? But at least for game one, like, there's no guarantee that those pairings keep playing the way they did. But at least for game one, you don't have to mess with those if you just swap Vatten in for Dougie. Yeah, it, it's tough because you're looking at how like the pairings set up, and it's it's almost crazy to even think about Vatten coming out of the lineup. Um, because he was on the first pairing, but I gotta be honest, like, like he was good. He was pretty good on the power play. He had three assists in the series. Um, he wasn't that great at, at even strength. And game three, you you started to see him kind of come apart. And it's kind of slow. I just His skating I, was a big yeah. Question. And you know, I, when you have the opportunity to put Dougie back with Slavin which is one of the best pairings in hockey when they're going. It's, uh, I don't know, and, and Vatnin hasn't played with anyone else in this lineup since the since he started here. I know he skated with Shea some in practice, but every game at even strength, he has been with Slavin. So he hasn't played in a game with any right. of the other defensemen on this team. Well, and even if you leave Vatnin in, if Dougie comes in, Vatnin's not going to keep playing with Slavin. Exactly. No, no. And I'll go back to especially the way I said the uh, Shea Vatnin pairing scared me against the Rangers. It definitely scares me against one of the top four. Yeah. Um. It's yeah. This is this is not easy. This is not an easy decision to make. And yeah, just imagine if the Hurricanes go into September and you get Brett Pesci back, this whole question comes anew. Now who else do you take out? Because Brett Pesci has to be in your lineup. Mm -hmm. He's statistically was, I think the best defenseman defensively for the Hurricanes this year. Yeah. And, um, that, that, that would be another question later. And obviously at that point, who knows if the Hurricanes make it that far, who knows what all is going to happen between now and then. But, um, it's, it's a difficult question. The Hurricanes have, some time here and some practice days at least to, to try to figure that out. Um, and we'll see where all that goes, where, where all that goes, where that all goes. It's one of the two pick one. Um, and we'll, we'll pick a few Twitter questions this week. So thank you to everyone who participated on Twitter and, and sent in some questions uh, at Kane's country on Twitter. If you have a question for us on the podcast, that's where you would send that in. First question from Shlomo on Twitter. Should Dezingle or TVR go in the lineup after the Canes swept the Rangers? Do you mess with something that's good? And then as a follow-up, if Dezingle is in, one of Willie or Justin Williams, Fogel or Nino Niederreiter out, and obviously Williams will not sit during the playoffs. So that would really come down to Niederreiter or Fogel. Um, should does Engel draw in? So basically this is about what we were kind of glossing over with TVR just a moment ago. I think it's really tough to work TVR in now. Um, obviously that can, like we said, well, that can change after game one or game two, but I don't know where you would put him, especially after the series the Hurricanes just had. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> The, the defense is just – it's so stacked. And now, because you've iced so many new pairs, but now they're working and they're meshing, 
you don't really want to mess with it now, you know? They're kind of mm. going and they're getting at it. You don't really want to try to add someone in. Maybe if somebody, you know, gets a little nicked up, takes a big hit, you want to give them a little rest, you can, like, try to work them in. But I don't think in game one against whoever the Hurricanes end up matching against, you don't – I don't think you put TVR in at all. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd be very surprised to see TBR in game one um, for all the reasons you guys lined up, just with everyone else playing so well and with Dougie drawing in. I, I just don't think there's a spot. And kind of similarly at Ford, I think going into game three, you maybe could make could have made the case for Diz, for Dezingle over Fogel. Fogel yeah. hadn't been that impressive in games and one then... and two, but then Fogel <laughs> scores the serious yeah. winning goal. Like, you're not taking him out. Like you already said, Brett. I understand he hasn't done a lot other than the fight. I just, I absolutely cannot see Justin Williams sitting in the playoffs. No shot. No No. shot. Um, And I think after, I think that, that Nino Trocek Natchez line has been really, looked really good. And I think Nino's physicality is a little more valuable in the playoffs. So this is no fault of Dezingles. I thought he was good in camp. I thought he was really good in the exhibition game. Mm-hmm. I just don't see a spot. I, I can't justify messing with... I know there's going to be a week off. I know certain things, you know, guys might look good in practice. Other than obviously putting Dougie in, I cannot justify messing with the lineup that worked so well against the Rangers. And it, it just... I mean, I, I feel bad for those guys because they're just victims of the numbers game. But it's like they've said, it's a long playoff run. They're going to lose games. Guys are going to get banged up. Exactly. I, I do think these guys will get a chance to play, just not in game one. Exactly. If, if if the Hurricanes keep winning and playing well, then they're going to be playing more games. Someone's going to get hurt. These guys are going to draw in eventually. I, I don't have any doubt about that. So um, it's just a matter of when, and I think we all agree that the when is not game one of the first round. So... Back about uh, back on Vatnin, uh, another question from Shlomo. Uh, what do you think about Vatnin on the power play? Um, with Dougie back, he obviously is going to go back on the first power play. Who do you prefer on the second pairing or the second power play unit? And I think this plays into who do you prefer to keep in the lineup, really, Gardner or Vatnin on the second pairing or the second power play? I would, I would go. I would keep Gardner working with the second power play unit. You know, at mm-hmm. times in the season, I don't think the second power play unit really. You know, it's obviously not as flashy. They don't get as many goals, but I feel like at times they're the more consistent unit because they get more yeah. puck movement. I feel like they're they're constantly getting the puck movement. They at least have possession time, where that first power play unit really has its ups and downs sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I think Gardner really works that second power play unit. I don't know if necessarily bring Vaughn in. I think you know. Bringing in an offensively minded, you know, defenseman like Vodnin, like over Slavin on that first power play unit, I think is a big boon because, you know, Aho, Svech, and Teravainen can do most anything on their own. Yeah. So Vodnin gives them a little extra movement option, but I feel like he doesn't bring more. I think he's a good filler, but I don't think he's bringing more. And I think Gardner works well in that second unit, and I would prefer to have him at five on five and four v five for all situations instead yeah. of having, you know, Vaughn just for a second power play unit. Yeah, I totally agree with you, actually. Um, I mean, Gardner's been playing with 
with that group all year. Um, Gardner, I mean, his his issues have never been on the power play, really. I mean, he, I don't have much of anything negative to say about him. I think, I mean, during the regular season, he had, I think he trailed only Aho, Teravine, and Svechnikov, Hamilton in power play points. And, I mean, that's pretty notable considering how much fewer, or how, how much fewer, I guess, uh, power play minutes he was getting. Um, so, I mean, he produced on the power play in a much, you know, smaller role during the regular season. Um, so, I, I think I like uh, Gardner over Vatanen, honestly. Andrew? I agree. I think, you know, you guys said, I'm not going to harp on this too much because you guys pretty much said what I think, but I think Gardner's got chemistry with that unit. I think he's been good with it. And I, I especially agree with what Ryan said that I think if Vatnin's not playing with Slavin, he almost becomes a little bit, I don't know if this is fair, not like full-blown like Marc-Andre Bergeron power play specialist, but sure, yeah. at least a little bit of a power play specialist. And I think Gardner can give you a lot more than he can in other phases of the game. So if you have the, if you're, if that's what you're choosing between, I don't see how you don't go with Gardner. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it pretty much, it, it lines up for Gardner and, and pretty much all those areas. Um, moving on. Next question. This is from Book of Canes and Fire on Twitter. Do you think it was a weird or a mistake to not bring along a more offensively oriented prospect like Suzuki or Dominic Bach to the bubble in case of injury? I know it's not ideal to start them in the playoffs and we have a lot of depth anyways, but it seems like a weird choice. Andrew? Um, no, I don't because I definitely don't. I agree that you don't want them guys like that starting out in the playoffs. Cause the thing is you're not bringing a guy like that up to play him on the third or fourth line. And like, if you have an injury, that's what you're doing. You're yeah. that's where you're putting a guy. So I think you're much better off with like a, a Brian Gibbons Clark or, Bishop. or Clark Bishop guys like that, that can fill those roles than them. Cause no, I, I don't think I get it. And, and, you know, you might want them around the team, but at the end of the day, you're not going to throw a guy like that into the fire in a playoff series, um, especially when you know they're not going to be playing the prominent role that you want to groom them for. And I think that could even potentially stunt their development. So Plus, I mean, God forbid, I mean, those guys aren't used to NHL hockey and you put them in a playoff series and they take a big hit and get hurt. Like That can't be good for no confidence or anything like that. Um, so I definitely understand the choice to not have those guys as options because you, I don't think even if they were on the roster, I don't think Brendan Moore would be comfortable playing them. So I think it makes more sense to go with kind of those NHL veteran, AHL veteran types that, you know, can fill in on your bottom six in a pinch. Yeah. Cause I think what the question was getting at was what if a, a guy in the top of the lineup gets hurt? Do you have the skill to to replace that? And I think the Hurricanes are more comfortable putting again a guy like Dezingle in the lineup who has skill and and has played a lot of NHL games. He's played in the postseason. The Canes have the kind of depth where you can feel good about that. And also, I mean, when you look down the lineup, I mean, you have a guy like Morgan Geeky. You have 
guys that aren't getting a whole lot of minutes. Like Justin Williams is in, was only getting what like fifteen minutes or so a game. Uh, I think the Hurricanes have enough enough depth up front uh, and have enough talent up front to have them feeling pretty good about you know next guy up or whatever. And in realistically, if a guy like Aho gets hurt or Svechnikov, knock on wood, very much so. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, I like Bach. I like Suzuki. They are not doing anything to replace those kind of players. It's just not going to happen. And at no, that exactly. point, at that point, you'd rather, I think you'd rather switch your game plan up a little bit to cater to how you play with, with lesser skill, but with NHL guys still in the lineup. Uh, yeah. And Ryan, do you have and any I, different opinion? Yeah. I think like, even then, like, when you have like Vincent Trocek, he yeah. talked about coming into the system, how difficult it was for him to adapt and learn the hurricane system. Now and, make like, it a 19 year old kid. Yeah. He's been in the NHL for so long and he's such a good player. Now you try to bring in a kid and Brent Moore has been known to shelter his rookies the first year. He definitely wants him to learn the system and get like, get a feel for it before he throws him into any type of trust. And I think like you see that so often and with Trocek, how he said he needed, he took those months to watch video, learn the whole entire system. You're not going to throw a rookie in there and have them play well, though. It'll be a third or fourth line role. Guys will move up from the bottom to the top. if need yeah. be. Yeah. So a good question. It, it makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that it makes sense the way that they did it. Uh, now, as we as we watch the round robin games uh, go forward, uh, if the Penguins lose to Montreal again, the Hurricanes will be the top seeded play in team in the in on or in the Eastern Conference. So that would set them up for a first round matchup, likely with one of Washington or Boston, because of course, uh, and that's based on how these round robin games are going. Um, we got a question from Iron Kaniac and several others. What team is the best or the biggest challenge for the Hurricanes among the four, which is Tampa, Philly, Washington, and Boston? Um, pros and cons of each team. Ryan? Uh, I was, I'll start out with what I feel is the worst matchup, and that has to be the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yes, they got swept by Columbus last year when they had a record season, but it's still that same Tampa team that has the whole package. You know, they have the depth on the blue line. They have such prominent, strong forwards. They have Andre Vasilevsky, who's nominated for another Vesna this year. They're just a complete team, and they're they're a monster team to go up against. Yes, you can make the argument that they folded last year in the playoffs, but are they really going to do it again? They le- they're going to learn from that mistake, and they're going to they're going to want. They've looked to break real good so half. far in the round robin, so looks they're like they're prepared to, to not break do that someone again. in half. To yeah. not have that reputation. And I think, like, the only question is, can they, like, reach that next level is, like, a potential con for them. But really, they're the scariest team. They're a complete package. I That's the team I worry about. They had a slow start to the season, but they were really rolling going into it. And, you know, that doesn't really matter. But what happened in the regular season doesn't matter, obviously, as we saw with the Canes sweeping the Rangers. But that's still that same Tampa team, and they're just stacked. Andrew? So what do you want? Do you want, like, best and worst matchup? Yeah, sure. Oh, look, Ryan already talked about Tampa, so I'll, I'll avoid them. I think 
The really interesting one to me is Boston, because if you look at the possibility of either the Canes staying at the six and playing the three or being the five, if Montreal beats Pittsburgh and saying, and um, playing the four, which Boston could be, it's obviously the cons are, it's still a bad matchup. That's still a really deep, good physical team. Um, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand and David Pasternak exists. Um, Pros. Not really sure what's going on with them right now. I'm sure that they're going to flip a switch in the regular Stanley Cup playoffs. But in this bizarre situation, I mean, you never know. And I think if you have the mindset that in order to get through the East, the Canes would have to play the Bruins eventually, I think you would rather play them, A, now when they're out of sorts, B, not a couple rounds in when you've got that typical playoff wear and tear on you. And that's a team that's just going to wear you down even further. Um, So, I mean, if they have to play the Bruins, it'd probably be best to do it now. I still don't like that as a matchup. Philly, I think is interesting there. They've got really good goaltending. They've got really high end skill. I think the Canes are definitely better on the blue line, but Philly is a team I honestly think could win the East. Best matchups probably Washington. Braden Holpe is not playing great. The Canes know that's a team that they can beat. They're very familiar with them. Mm-hmm. So that Washington's probably my first choice right now, but I'm not nearly as opposed to playing Boston in the first round as I probably would have been a week ago. Yeah, I think I agree exactly with you, Andrew. Um, and Ryan, you too, is on top of that because Tampa's – I, I it looks like they're not going to play Tampa, um, but if they had had to play Tampa right from the jump, that would have been tough. Um, yeah, I think I think the best matchup is Washington. Uh, they are very familiar with each other, and quite frankly, I just I think the Hurricanes, you know, systematically and roster construction wise. I think they can go toe-to-toe with Washington. Obviously, we saw it last year. Um, but, yeah, if you're going to play Boston, you should probably do it now and not in the conference final or the second round. Um, so, yeah, I think both of you made up made a lot of really good points. And the last Twitter question this week from Drew Blevins, who do you start in game one of the first round? Mrazek, Reimer, Andrew. Great question from Drew, who's a good friend of mine. Um, Former uh, play-by-play man for the NC State Ice Pack. But, um, man, I don't... If you're going with the quote-unquote hot hand, I mean, I guess technically that's Reimer because he's just played, but I think you probably go back to Mrazek. He's been your number one all year. He was phenomenal. He was pretty good in game one. He was phenomenal in game two. It's just so tough, though, because Reimer, as good as Mrazek was in the two games, Reimer was even better in the game three, probably, than he was. So, I mean, it's kind of funny. It's almost like back in, I don't remember this that well. Um, Obviously, I don't remember it really at all because I was like five years old, but... um, like back in 2002 when the Canes had Arturis Urbe and Kevin Weeks um, might be a similar situation to that. But I think I go with Mrazek, um just based on 
him being the number one all year, him starting, you know, the majority of the Rangers series, but that is not as easy of a decision as I would have thought it would be after two, after Monday. Yeah, I, I think they're going to go with Morazic. Um Look, Morazic played the first round last year. Obviously, that's a different year, but uh, he more recently he started game one and game two after he had a not great exhibition game. Um, I think the Hurricanes are going to keep going with Morazic as their number one, and they're going to keep playing it like a, like how they did in in the playing round with the Rangers. I think Reimer's going to get games regardless of how well Morazic plays. Um, I think it will just be a day-to-day thing with, with them, but I think game one will go to Morazic. Well, because I haven't looked at the timeline. Is it possible that they could play another? They could have another back-to-back in this round. I honestly couldn't tell you. I mean, if they do, then I definitely think we would see. Oh, Reimer. for sure. But even even if they don't, I still think that you'll see Reimer in the series, regardless. Yeah, I think it's something that they'll go back and forth, but definitely, I think you're going to give them the old Marazzle Dazzle to start. <laughs> the old Marazzle Dazzle. Um, elsewhere, those 12 seeds, man. I mean, look at them go. The... 12 over a 5 every time, I'm telling you. Andrew's telling you. And Montreal and Chicago are showing you. They both have 2-1 series leads over Pittsburgh and Edmonton, respectively. Um, what the hell? Well, when I lo- when I was looking at this... I was leaning in Chicago because I'm looking at, you know, a team that, you know, is only really lacking a good defense versus Dreisaitl McDavid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dreisaitl McDavid have really shown up this series. I think Dreisaitl had two goals last night. McDavid had one. McDavid had a hat trick yeah. in game two. It's, they're on fire. They're absolutely insane. But the Chicago Blackhawks are a team that's been here and done it many times. They still have that same, you know, strong core, Kane, Taves, Keith, Crawford. Yeah. And I, you know, they don't have a defense, which is obvious as the amount of goals that are we scoring this team, but neither do the Oilers. It's just a, it's just a shootout pretty much. Yeah. I also have guys like Kubalik and Debrinkit and, um, mm-hmm. oh, who am I? Saad. So, I mean, like they have, Obviously, they can't match the high end of McDavid and Drysaddle, which absolutely no team in the NHL can. But they have their own star in Kane, and they probably have a deeper forward group than the Oilers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Chicago one isn't nearly as surprising as the Montreal one. So the Canadians are up two one in their series against the Penguins. Um, definitely did not see that one coming. Um, I mean, you know, Carey Price looked amazing in game one. He stole a game. Pittsburgh came back. But then Montreal picked up a big win in game three. The analytics people had Montreal going. I saw this on, like, moneypock.com, Sean Tierney charting hockey. They were all saying Montreal, and I wasn't sure what they were all talking about. But watching these games, granted, Carey Price is probably stealing them for the most part. But it's something about that generating offense. Montreal – it has something about him it, that just it's unexpected. Nobody was really thinking about it, but there was something there that people were looking at even before those games. 
Yeah, and the funny thing is, like, the narrative coming in was, like, that you could maybe see was, like, oh, yeah, Carey Price plays, like, awesome and steals it. Past couple years, Carey Price was has been decidedly not awesome. Like, yeah. it, it that was kind of a stretch, I felt like, but that's exactly what's happened. Yeah, that is exactly what happened. I think we, I mean, last, last week, Andrew, we were, like, I mean, yeah, if, if Carey Price is, like, the guy from five years ago, then, yeah, maybe. And we said it as a joke, and look what happened. I mean. Do you have the clip of me calling Montreal the poster child for why we're why are we doing this with twenty four yes, teams? I think I can I think <laughs> I can pull that one out. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, those twelve seeds, man, and a series that Andrew and I both predicted to go this way, uh, at least so far. The Coyotes are up two one on the Predators. So that's a ten seed, I believe. In in the uh, oh no no the Coyotes the Coyotes are an eleven seed. And they are up to one on the Predators. Yeah, I felt I felt good about that one just because I think the Coyotes play really good defensive hockey. They have some guys who didn't produce a lot in the regular season in Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel, but are certainly capable of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and some other young guys, and then their goaltending with their their options between Ranta and Kemper are just so good. And Pekarene was very not good all season. I think I like UC Soros a lot. I like his potential, but yeah, the Coyotes one definitely felt like a solid upset pick to me. Yeah. I haven't been hot on the Predators since the playoffs last year. When they made those acquisitions, they got, you know, Granlin from Minnesota. They got Wayne Simmons and Boyle. I just was wondering what they were doing, putting together that the roster for the playoff run. And they yeah. got bumped by Dallas early, the wildcard team. And then coming into this season, they added Duchesne, but really, like, Johansson hasn't been good the past two seasons, honestly. And so it's like, it's really they're a top-line team, and then their forward depth falls off. You know, they have Yossi, Norris, candidate, you know, this year, and he's really good, but the defense is a step down from what we had seen, I think, was the 2016 playoff run. Mm-hmm. And, like, their goaltending, you know, Pekarene has, you know, had a fall off. Like, Saros has been able to, like, be a good one two of Renee, but you know, Kemper was always he had a best caliber season until, you know, the injuries. I was coming in, I just haven't been a fan of the Predators this whole season. They were making me surprised to the regular season, but it's kind of the same they've kind of come down to earth again with this one. Yeah, I just I don't like the Predators. I, there there I think there has to be something that changes there. Like it's just it's very clearly, I, I, it's just not going to work, I don't think. Uh, I like Arvidsson a lot. I like Yossi a lot. I like some of their defense. Uh, Saros is good. But, man, I mean, it's just it's not good enough. It's just they're it, – it feels like they're playing, like, such an ancient style of hockey. It's just it doesn't – it just doesn't feel – like it's anything that's going to work um watching them especially against arizona just when you you know arizona wasn't a playoff team at the stop of the season but they have been they've looked decidedly better than than the predators and it feels like something needs to change uh they have john hines i believe is their coach and I don't know how long he's going to be there, but they brought him in mid-season. It'll be interesting to watch. And 
yeah, I think the the last notable thing we've talked about a little bit is it looks like the the Lightning and Avalanche right now are the front runners to be the top seeds in either conference. Um, not really a surprise. It's it's kind of Colorado, Vegas, and in, in the West, and Tampa, Philly in the East. Uh, Philly's up two nothing on Washington right now as we as we record this podcast. So it looks like Philly's going to get another win. Um, any surprises? Are, are are you guys surprised to see that Boston, Washington, uh, St. Louis, those teams aren't aren't playing well? Well, it's kind of hard to say that you're because like you got to keep in mind these are one off games after mm. like four months off against like the other best teams. Like I said going into this that if you're the Bruins and you finish the regular season eight points ahead of everyone else and then you have to do this for seeding you're probably pissed and I think you definitely are now probably just in time to play the Hurricanes but um <laughs> the, the thing about Boston going into this is like they just have kind of looked disinterested like like, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of weird. Like, you're, you kind of just watch them, and you're kind of like, what you know, what's going on with them right now? I mean, I'm not, like, I'm definitely not surprised. that I think the Avalanche were my pick to get the number one seed in the West, um, and I'm certainly not surprised to see the Lightning doing it in the East because even though Boston had the best regular season in the East, I think the Lightning still might have the better best overall team in the East. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not – necessarily surprised to see those two the biggest surprise for me is boston playing as poorly as they have i think yeah am i surprised that the avalanche and tampa are at top no i wouldn't say i'm necessarily surprised by like i wouldn't say that they're playing these other round robin teams are playing bad necessarily because you know they're all the top teams going into it so it's like losing to the avalanche is not doesn't necessarily make you a bad team. It doesn't make you necessarily, you know, it's bad off like St. Louis lost at the buzzer beater to Kadri. So I don't really like think St. Louis is doing poorly. Just I think the Avs are just a really, really good team. That type of thing. So it's hard to say with this right now. Kane's Country Podcast, thank you for listening again this week. Uh, this has been Brett Finger, myself, Andrew Schnicker, and Ryan Hankel with his Diamondbacks update. Uh, you can listen to the Kane's Country Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever, Stitcher. Uh, follow slash subscribe to the podcast on those uh, outlets. Uh, rate the podcast, review it, uh, share it with everyone in the world. That would be great. Andrew, where can the people find you on Twitter and only Twitter? At A-S-C-H-N-I-T-T-5-3. Ryan. You can check me out on Twitter at R-Y-A-N-H-E-N-K-E-L underscore. You can find me at Brett underscore finger. You can follow Kane's Country at Kane's Country on Twitter. Read the site. Uh, there's a week of no games, but the content will not slow down. They, the content must go on, as will this podcast next week. Goodbye. <laughs>